Have you ever asked a child what they wanted to be when they grew up? If you haven't, I suggest doing it. The responses kids give whenever they're asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? They, they're hilarious. And so um, I've heard a lot, you know, being in children's ministry, but also you can just Google like funny things kids say when asked these weird questions. And so these are some of my favorite. Um, you have the usual ones. You have the kids that are like, I want to be a firefighter. I want to be a policeman. You know, I want to be, um, I want to be an astronaut. That stuff is, is amazing, and it's, and it's fun to see these ambitions. But then you got the ones who, they want to be a cashier at Walmart. And their heart's desire is to work at Target and wear a red shirt because it's their favorite color. You got ones that want to be pirates. Those are my, my favorite. Uh, you got a new wave, like a new wave of a generation who want to be YouTubers. You know, it's, that's the replacement for movie stars. It's you want to be a YouTuber. Uh, one said that he wanted to be a pilot. He wanted to be a dad and a race car driver. And he had a name for it. He said a pilot racer dad. That's what he wanted to be. Uh, one wanted to replace Spider-Man. Apparently, the one we have now isn't doing a great job. We had gymnast coaches. We had dancers. Uh, we had one. He's like 11 years old, and he's like, I have a plan. I've got a plan. I know what I'm going to do. He's like, I'm going to go in the Air Force for 20 years, okay? And then I'm going to retire from the Air Force. And then I'm going to become a businessman. I'm going to learn everything I need to know about business, go to business college. And then I'm going to start a car company. I mean, he's, he's got the next 50 years planned out. He had Pokemon trainers. My favorite was the child who wanted to be a cake when they grow up. You have the students who want to be artists, students who want to make video games. But here are some of my absolute all-time favorites. Mermaid doctor. It's unclear whether or not they want to be a mermaid who is a doctor or whether or not they want to be a doctor to mermaids. It's, it's, it's not stated in the fine print. Um, there, was a, there was one young girl who wanted to be a pediatrician because she wanted to be a doctor, but also wanted to wear rainbow pants <laughs> all the time. You had one that wanted to, be a, she wanted to grow up to be a vegetarian <laughs> because she loved animals. <laughs> However, she's not a vegetarian now. She can't do it. She's got to wait until she grows up. But she does love animals. Um... And finally, last but not least, one young girl wanted to be a princess fairy zookeeper. And when asked what kind of money a princess fairy zookeeper made, she answered about $29. <laughs> I'm assuming that's per hour, which is <laughs> pretty good money. <clears throat> I know what profession I need to be in now. <sighs> and I love this question because we ask kids who have the loosest understanding of reality and the loosest understanding of the world in front of them. And we're like, what do you want to be? And you get the purest, sweetest little answers about kids who want to be cakes and vegetarians. Spider-Man. But this is a question we don't really stop asking 
You know, and I'm not actually quite sure when we stop asking this question. My, my assumption is sometime after college, but before retirement. Because if you ever ask a college student what they want to be when they grow up, the answer depends on how many times they've changed their major already. And to be fair, there are many of us who have kids and, and are married and are like 10 years into a career, and we're like, I'm still not sure if this is what I want to do. Because when it comes to life, it is a beautiful, open-ended question. And it's hard to know who we're supposed to marry, the job we're supposed to have, the state we're supposed to live in, the career we're supposed to train for. We don't know how we'll make a difference. We don't know the lives that we're going to change. We don't know how we're going to change them. Many of us go years Still learning about ourselves, still learning about the things that we love, the things that we care about, the things that we're good at. I'm holding out that somehow I'm really, really good at like a cello or something, and I don't know it yet. And I just, I just got to find the instrument that, that speaks to my heart. We also don't know what kind of hardship's going to come our way. And, and it's, fun to, it's fun to think about and, and wonder, what if I knew who I was supposed to be? If, if, if somehow I had a plan, if I had a notebook that told me, you know, to get the best out of life, here's those steps. If I had clear set goals of know exactly how to succeed, could I, even, could I even do that? I'd like to think I could. And as, as believers, we ask ourselves these questions all the time. But they're a little bit more spiritual sounding because that's what we do as Christians when we talk. We ask questions like, am I in the will of God? We ask questions like, am I on the right path? Does God want me to marry that person? My favorite thing about that question is that if, if you don't, you can blame God later. Hey, God said I can't marry you. <laughs> it's written in the Bible somewhere. Don't look for it. But there's at some point we ask our question, what if I knew God's calling on my life? What if I knew his will for exactly what I should do every step of the way? If I knew my purpose and my calling to a T, could I even carry it out? If God took a book, plopped it on the counter and said, check it out. It's what I got planned for you. Would I be like, no, thank you, and give it back? Or would I dig in? And it's a hard question to face because at some point we get to realize, you know, what kind of commitment do I have to this Jesus thing? But as a point of comfort, we're not the first Christians to ask that question. There are thousands of believers who've gone before us, who've answered this question, who have strived to find what God's calling on their life has been. And we just happen to be so lucky that we're actually going through a book of the Bible called Romans, who was written by a man, Paul, who had a very, very powerful and specific calling in his life. And so that's where we're going to turn as we address these heavy questions. So please turn to Romans chapter 15, verse 14. I'll give you a minute to get there. 
So for those of us who, are, who if you're just joining in or you, you've missed a couple sermons or maybe this is your first time, uh, we've been going through Romans for about five months now. We've been going through the book from front to back, and we've covered so much. We've talked about evangelism. We've talked about freedom. We've talked about forgiveness and love and almost so many, so many topics about, about the Word of God. But now that we're in Romans 15, 14, the verse we're going to start at today, we get something a little bit different. Because if you were here last week, which I was preaching last week too, and you heard that sermon, that was actually the last of the body of text of Romans. We're just about done. It was the last thing that Paul taught. And our verse today, Romans 15, 14, marks the beginning of what is Paul's conclusion, his salutation. He's about done writing his letter. And he's saying a chapter and a half long goodbye, as only Paul can. And so if you're interested in knowing, the next, this sermon and the next two are actually all about this goodbye. It's about how Paul closes this letter. And because of that fact, because we're not in the body of text, because Paul isn't specifically saying, hey, this is the lesson you have to learn today, we actually have to read Paul's goodbye and learn something from it, which is much harder than you would think it would be. But the focus is being on the man himself, on Paul. Because in Paul's goodbye, in the way that he, he wishes these Romans farewell and says, I'm going to see you soon, the way he does it is he reveals so much about the calling that God has placed on Paul's life. And so, if I haven't already said it a couple times, Romans 15, verse 14, that's where we're going to read. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent, knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again, because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God, so that the Gentiles might become a and an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything that Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jer Jerusalem all the way around... See, now we all, even, even as pastors have trouble with these words. Illyricum. I should practice that before you. Illyricum. I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. I have always, it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. And this is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. And I guess you can see why this closing carries on for about a chapter and a half. Paul has so much to say. But before we dig in, and we're going to dig in, I think there is a powerful factoid that really kind of sets really the whole letter of Romans. It gives us kind of an understanding of where Paul's heart is at. Paul has never been to this church. Paul didn't plant this church. 
the church in Rome is a body of believers. There are Christians that he did not have any investment in. There are Christians that he didn't, he didn't disciple. There are believers that he didn't care for. There are the, the old and, and the young that he didn't, he didn't tend to and, and, and build up. He doesn't know these people. And everything that he knows about them, he's learned. And everything he's learned about them, it's been through letters and, and through things that they have sent him. But think about that. Romans, one of the most theologically rich chapters of the books of the Bible, one of the most powerful and wonderful teachings for churches was written by Paul to a church that he most likely didn't plant and had yet to visit. And that's super important because he explains. He's like, hey guys, I was kind of hard on you and let me explain while I was hard on you. And so we get to see a little bit of Paul's heart. So, starting in verse 14, he says, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. He kind of starts with a little bit of a, we call this in, in, in preaching a truth sandwich. You're like, here is something nice I'm going to say about you because I'm going to say something hard to hear and then I'm going to say something nice again to kind of, you know, even it out. But it also tells us a little bit about these, these Romans. He knows that they're a body of believers who, who are faithful, who follow Christ, who need a little bit of guidance, that he doesn't really have to bash them over the head with anything. But he needs them to learn some things. And he did have to bash them over the head with a few things. And in verse 10, sorry, verse 15 and 16, he continues, yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul intentionally uses some, some churchy, churchy language. He calls himself a priest, he talks about sanctifications and offerings and the Holy Spirit. And all of this is important because if we look at what Christ did, he took, he took the, when, when Christ came and he died on the cross, he took the nation of Israel and he said, it's not all about just you. I've got a plan for the world. And so we had this, this Jewish population of believers who followed Christ who had to learn to get along with a whole different body of believers, people who had never grown up knowing God. And all these body, this, this body of believers, the people, the Gentiles, the ones that didn't know God, they're like, hey, you know, there's these Jewish people that you have to be friends with, that you are now family with, who have known about God for a long time, and you guys got to make this work. And Paul had a, a, a beautiful, specific calling, Paul's calling, and he lays it out. He said, God wants me to lay a foundation to the Gentiles he needs me to teach you. He needs me to help you grow. He needs me to challenge you so that I can offer you to God as something purified, something beautiful, something worthy. And that's why I've written you boldly. That's why I've said some hard things because there are things that you needed to hear to be the people that God needed you to be. And in verse 17, he says, Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. 
He's like, if you got a problem, take it up with the man upstairs because he told me to do this. And Christ, I'm sorry, not Christ, Paul knows his calling. He knows it to a T. He knows it so well that he can write a bold letter to people he never met to teach them and challenge them and grow them. And in verse 18, he says, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading to the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. And he says, I'm not going to boast in anything except for what God has done in me because I know that that is God's calling that he has placed on my life to do things that are powerful and amazing. And I have no problem boasting in them because it's what God has done through me. And for Paul, it's not about notoriety, it's not about wealth, it's not about pride, it's not about building the brand, Paul the Apostle, as the greatest Christian that ever existed. But he's like, no, it's about God, and that's why I'm so comfortable boasting in what I've done. That's why I'm so comfortable in telling you the things you need to hear. In 19, he goes on, he says, by the power of the signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God, so from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum, Illyricum, I have proclaimed the gospel of Christ. And once again, he says, it is not by my power that I've been able to preach the gospel all over Asia. From nation to nation, from country to country, from city to city, thousands and thousands and thousands of people who had never heard the word of God, heard the word of God from Paul. He taught them, he, he, he raised them, he planted churches, and he wrote letters, and he invested and invested and invested in people who had never heard the gospel of Christ. He was laying a new foundation, a foundation that God had called him to do it, and he said, I couldn't have done any of that if it had not been for Christ and his power, and the Holy Spirit, and that's why I boast. And now we have the last chunk here, verses 20 through 22, and it's a little bit of my favorite, because it's one of the times that we really get to see Paul. And he says, it has been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on somebody else's foundation. And rather it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who were not heard will understand. And this is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. We get a little bit of Paul's heart there. Not a lot of times does he do and say things because it's something he wants, but he shares. He's like, this is my heart. This is my ambition. And we, got, we get to see a little bit of, we get to see a little bit of about how God works through us, through how we get to see Paul. God, God made Paul specific. He gave Paul passion. He gave Paul a drive that many people don't have. He put it in his heart. And then the calling that God had on his life matched perfectly. God said, I've given you so much. I've given you tools. I've given you skills. I've given you passions. I've given you an ambition. I've given you something you love. And I want you to move the world with it. But it wasn't easy for Paul, because if we learn a little bit about Paul, we get a chapter in Ephesians. When he's, being chal- when he's challenging false teachers, he kind of he shares a little bit of the journey he's had. 
This is Paul speaking. He says, I have worked much harder. I have been in prison more frequently. I've been flogged more severely. I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times have I, re- I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. One of the things the Jews, the Jews believed as a punishment is 40 lashes. And 40 lashes was said to kill you, so they would give you one minus 40. And so he said, five times, five times I received 39 lashes just to the brink of death by Jewish standards. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, danger from bandits, danger from fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in dangers in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled. I have gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst, gone without food. I've been cold and I've been naked. Beside everything else, I face daily pressures of my concern for all the churches. And there's one little tagline at the end of there that I didn't include, but he says, I'm speaking as a fool. I'm speaking as somebody who, who, is, who is reveling in their own sacrifices. I'm stooping to a level to show you that the false teachers aren't right, that this is what it actually looks like to suffer. See, Paul demonstrates a dizzying, mind-boggling example of what it means to follow your calling. And Paul is a testament that we don't really need to know all the answers to make a difference. Paul demonstrated unbelievable peace and confidence in his calling. And it's because he did one thing. He trusted in God. Implicitly. But where does that leave us? We're kind of back at the beginning. We kind of still have the same questions. What's my calling? Am I in the middle of God's will? Because, I mean, if we're, if we're honest, Paul's calling is a little bit different to, than us. He was the apostle to the Gentiles. He was foundational in the early church. He was placed there for a very specific and defined purpose. Paul went from murdering Christians to being one of the greatest examples of believers. And we're not necessarily called to jump from state to state, laying a foundation of the gospel. But we do have a purpose. We have a very specific purpose. We ask the question, if I knew God's calling on my life, if I knew exactly what I had to do on a daily basis to be who God needed me to be, could I do it? Well, I tell us that we do have a purpose. And if we've been around for any amount of time in the church, if we've read the Bible just a little bit, We've caught glimpses of it. And it's clearer than we feel comfortable admitting. Because it's in Mark when Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And love your neighbor and yourself. And no greater commandment is these. That's our calling. In Luke 6, when Jesus says again, 
But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, turn it to the other. And if someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt. Give to everyone who asks. And if, everyone, and if anyone takes what belongs for you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. That's our calling. In Ephesians, when Paul tells us to get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slandering, along with every form of malice, be kind and compassionate to each other, forgiving each other just as Christ God has forgiven you. That's our calling. It's in Jesus' last words before he leaves this earth when he tells us, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything I've commanded to you and I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. That is our calling. The uncomfortable part is that our calling comes with every morning when we wake up and we decide what kind of mother, what kind of father, what kind of brother, what kind of sister kind of friend, mentor, and disciple we want to be. Our calling lies in the long days at work when we're still called to be loving to our neighbors and our co-workers. Our calling is found in our friendships when we have the opportunity to invite people to church, the opportunity to share our, our story, the opportunity to share our faith. see, there's freedom. There's freedom in the specifics. There's freedom in who you get to marry and where you get to live, the jobs you get to take. Because see, God isn't so much concerned about what, where or what you do and when you go, but, but what you do when you're there. So take your calling with you wherever you go. I think it's important for us to understand that God's calling isn't a pie in the sky secret that needs decoding. It's rooted in the word of God that we have in our hands. It's plain. It's obvious. It's laid out, but it takes a, a little bit of digging. And so if I have something that I think we should leave it with today, it's this. We need to know our calling. We need to know our calling. We need to know the people we need to be. Because when we get a chance to, 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 to tap into that, when we get a chance to, to get that Paul-like fire to know that, hey, you know what? This is our community. The people around us, these schools, these churches, the homeless, this food bank, our neighbors, this is our, this is the ground where we get to plant the seed Paul, had, Paul had, had an empty field in front of him and he toiled and he, and he dug in and we get that opportunity. But it's here in our community. It's here in our families. It's here in our jobs. And we get to be Paul to this community. But it's us together as a church. It's found in how we serve. It's found in how we give. It's found in how we love. Some of us will be called to be missionaries. Some of us will be called to be teachers, pastors, deacons, evangelists. 
But the powerful thing about it, just like Paul loved what he did, your calling is ingrained in your DNA and who God made you to be. And it just takes a little digging to find out who we were meant to be, to know our calling, because it's in Scripture. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord Jesus, we are thankful for your love. We're thankful for your servant, Paul. We're thankful for scriptures that we get to dig into, and we are thankful for your commandments. Lord Jesus, teach us to follow you. Let us come face to face with those hard questions, Lord Jesus, and take our strength in you, because we can't do it on our own. And in your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.